Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. podcast about comedy. I'm Joel Norris. I'm Jason Hazley. And as usual, we're joined by someone who makes comedy to talk about something funny that they love. By taking it apart, maybe we'll learn something about how comedy works, or we'll just quote bits from it and giggle until we're finished. Both approaches are valid. Our special guest today is the wonderful Tom Neenan. Hello, hello, thank you. Hello, Tom. Hello. This is lovely. Hello, everyone. And the, the eagle-eared of you uh, listening at home will have worked out that there are other people in the room with us, <gasps> because we are at the London Podcast Festival, no less. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Welcome, Tom. This is us on the road. <laughs> yeah. Tour of one date. What, what happens on tour stays on tour. <laughs> I came here from southwest London by private jet. <laughs> Very fancy. Um, uh, were you guys chatting about the right stuff? Probably off the podcast, but to the live audience. Just yeah, now. we were talking. We were talking Matthew Wright's daytime yes. uh, news area. I just have one story about the right stuff because I used to um, uh, a show I write for uh, was produced by a company that was part of that. I mean, the the studio for the right stuff is in a place called Whiteleys, which I yeah. think has now been destroyed. It used to be a shopping centre. Shopping yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so strange. So they had like they'd have Sunday brunch there, and like Jada Pinkett Smith would turn up to like the UK, like arrive first class, and then be taken through like a desolate shopping centre. <laughs> she just thought, what are they going to do to me? Um, but we'd work on the. So uh, occasionally, what would happen is they'd get the audience from the right stuff, and they'd be sort of just around there as well because we'd be working. And once uh, I did find a man washing his nevers in the sinks. Grim, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> And I was like, and uh, I sort of said, there's someone doing that. I went, oh, that's, that's the right stuff audience. That's <laughs> <laughs> what they do. We were discussing this, that there were different, you get stories from behind the scenes about different audiences. And the, the one I always like, because backstage here, there's an awful lot of Haribo. <laughs> it's, it's, I said, this is, this is the, 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 the catering uh, table for a night shoot. This is how you keep crew awake in the middle of the night. Mm. I said, it's either that or the one for an Anton Deck Saturday morning 90s show. And yeah. I knew someone who worked on those shows and they said, they fill the kids up with sugar. There's loads of sugar. Mm. I said, and the weird thing about if you ever did one of those, those, those pop shows that were on Saturday mornings, I said, it was the smell. Oof. And it was the smell of pre-teen kids sweating full of sugar. <laughs> it was like a village hall just after the magicians left at the party. That's what like SMTV smelled wow. like. It's, that's the glamour. That's why, that's why we all work in <laughs> so for, for stories about what audiences smell like. <laughs> So, so like the worst thing you could do is go to outside London studios just after they'd finished, where a load of kids are going to be crashing yeah, yeah. from a huge sugar high and yeah. just be incredibly miserable. The other trick they used to do is if they had a really big pop star, and I'm, I'm going to reveal how old I am. So, let's imagine they had Matt Monroe or Tom Jones. Or <laughs> 
or, or chicory tip. Uh, what they do is they make sure that... I've done Joel is uh, 85. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Kylie Minogue, let's say. She's modern. But they, they always take the star. Kylie Minogue, she's modern. She's modern. She's, she's from the modern days. She does the dancing. But, uh, yeah, they, they'd always take her through the kids on the way to the dressing room. So the kids would get wildly Beatles overexcited yeah. and then fill them full of sugar. <laughs> just a weird one. I'm glad it stopped, really. It's like sort of factory farming excitement. Yeah, because sort of the adult version of that is TFI Friday, where everyone used to get drunk, and then there was just like a gantry, from what I remember of the studio, with just like a sheer drop. Like, how did they get away with that? Hurling Sean Ryder or Charlotte <laughs> yeah. into the, the sweaty halls. Yeah. It's not nice. Uh, talking of uh, grasping awful undead fingers, mm-hmm. uh, um, you've, well you've chosen something absolutely brilliant, which... It's very revealingly, I hadn't thought of doing. Mm. And brilliantly, when I said, well, what would you do? You went, well, obviously. And I love it when someone says, well, obviously. Because mm. you realise that, oh, God, you've missed something in the canon of great comedy things. And when you suggest this, I said, we've got to do this, because I think it's a... It's, no one talks about it, weirdly, anymore. And it's brilliant. Mm. Do tell us what you've chosen to talk about. Today, I'll be talking about Shaun of the Dead. Yes, it's become a bit... I think thanks to sort of ITV2, it's become slightly wallpaper, hasn't it, in a way? Are we taking it for granted just because it's on now? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I, it's, I have to sort of travel back to... So when I, when I said that, I was like, oh, it's, I, I love it, and I think it's, it's my, probably my favourite comedy film. Uh, and I had to sort of travel back to when I actually first saw it, because now I know it so well and the quotes and everything. And I tried to sort of transport myself back to 2004, where the uh, British comedy film that came out before Shaun of the Dead was Sex Lives of the Potato Men. Oh, boy. Um, which was my second choice, obviously. Um, but, uh, so, I, I remember my expectations be like, I'm lowering them so I wouldn't get hurt. Oh, good. Working title have made a laddie calm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> It was, uh, yeah, so I was like, uh, uh, it had a punny title. You sort of forget that Shaun of the Dead is a pun as well. That's quite... Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, I read somewhere... Because <laughs> you look this stuff up when you're researching, someone said, it's clearly a pun on the poem Shaun of the Dead from the... Uh, <laughs> from the, uh, the, the frontispiece of House on the Borderlands. You went, yeah, it's also a pun on Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon that's a, that's a neater reach. Yes. Um, yeah, because there was the remake of Dawn of the Dead that came out in 2002, 2003, which is also excellent. Uh, the Zack Snyder one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. There was, there was a moment where I, I, I was brilliant. I, I will be sharing these. I was just chatting to Paul Putner on text, because that's how you talk to Paul Putner. You use facts or text. Uh, and I said, oh, got any Shaun of the Dead anecdotes? And he just said, he said, the thing everyone forgets is zombies were absolutely dead. No one was interested mm. in zombies. It wasn't a cool thing. But is that a joke? It was, it was, yeah. it was pretty solid, actually. Mm. But uh, he said they were dead. Then Zack Snyder remake, and this came out within a couple of years. He said, without that, there wouldn't be AMC Walking Dead. There wouldn't be... Yeah. There certainly wouldn't be World War Z and all these things. They went back into culture really fast mm. on the back of two very unlikely things, a remake and a low-budget British yes. comedy. They are now, you can... I mean, it's, it's one of those films that's had a lot of imitators and none of them have... Like, a lot of comedy horror films as well and none of them, I think, have come close, usually for want of, like, tone and things like that, where yeah. you, um, there's the, the, what, the lesbian vampire killers. I was going to bring that up, saying that, that you realise, like, there, but for the grace of God, <laughs> it seems really obvious. You go, well, it'd be great, because it's a sitcom, people. They know how to work together. Edgar Wright's a really good director. The guys are funny. It's a horror comedy. Everyone does that. Yeah. And then you realise that... That also is lesbian vampire killers. Everyone thinks they can do a horror comedy. Yes. And now there's theory behind this, because if you talk to anyone, lots of comedy people like horror, League of Gentlemen, people like that. So it's a very common thing. Uh, in fact, Great Big Al's got a, a podcast called The Fear, which is about comedians talking about their love of horror. Very possibly because the same impulse is happening. It's a visceral reaction, laughing and screaming. You mm. can't help it. You can tell when an audience is scared. They can't fake it. You can tell when an audience is laughing. And the same techniques are used. Rule of three is used in horror. Just yes. the same as it's in comedy. You go... You, you do something, you do it again to set expectation, then you subvert expectation. That's mm. why 
you hear a noise, oh, it's a cat. No, it's a monster. That's a rule of three. <laughs> um, so everyone who does comedy goes, I'm going to do a horror thing. Mm. And a lot of the time, it's Bloodbath the House of Death. It's, there are loads of bad horror comedies. Yeah. But what's great about this one is it's Edgar Wright was a huge fan. The film that made him want to direct was American Werewolf in London, which is a great horror comedy. Cause it's got the, co- the comedy is funny and the horror is horrifying. Mm. And that sounds like a really easy thing to do because you think you're using the same tools for both. But the problem is, when you turn one of those tools on, you stop an audience expecting the other one. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to do that switch backwards and forwards without making people laugh and not be scared or be scared and not laugh. And oddly, this film just manages to do it. It does. It's extraordinary because uh, you, are, you can't help, but if you find something funny, you undermine its threat uh, often. And so what it does so well is, uh, is at no point are the zombies comedic in a in sort of a throwaway way yeah and there was there's a, a shot that was cut out of going through the dvd again which is of like four zombies that are on uh, the side of the road and they're recreating the meerkats from the uh, the neighborhood watch <laughs> yes. uh, thing um which they cut out because what they, they wanted the actual zombies and the stakes to to remain you know that they, they got rid of a joke in order to save the stakes of the film what's amazing for people who are comedians and very funny comedians who've made very funny programs this is the team who made spaced and they are—they've got sitcom bones. They've got gag bones. They're very—is that they've sacrificed a lot of jokes to make the film work. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is incredibly like, grown up. As I was watching it, I hadn't watched it for a few years, but as I was watching it, I was thinking, actually, where the funny lines are in this, there's there's some quite big gaps between the funny lines, and the yeah. film never stops being 100% fun. Yes, it's such an enjoyable film to watch. Even when there are no there are no gags in there, mm. and I also found this might be the same thing. I'm not sure, but a couple of the things that I laughed at the most were just the moments where people really lost their shit. <laughs> they do so well, and it's so funny. There's yeah. no written gag there. It's just someone going, "Can we all please calm down?" <laughs> it's very very funny. Move aside. I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. <laughs> Okay. Please, can we just stop and think about this? Tell him to put the gun down. I, I think what's what's going on is that they've got they've learned two things. Usually, when someone comes from from a comedy background, then they are worried about stopping doing the jokes. Mm-hmm. They're worried about what they'll sacrifice, or they go, "Well, we've now moved on to something which is better than this, and it won't have any jokes at all." Yeah. What's incredible about this is it never stops being what it was, which is this is a sitcom movie. This is the Bless This House movie. Yeah. It's the team from Spaced doing a flat share sitcom set in North London. Mm-hmm. It's the spaced film. It's like it's basically has the same relationship to spaced as in the loop has to the thick of it. Yes. It's a similar thing, but obviously it's almost as if someone owned the copyright for the characters from space <laughs> and they were trying to dodge it to get a film out. Yeah. So it has all those values. But the great thing about it, and this is what you were saying about the zombies, is that instead of doing a thing where they would do what say scary movie would do and say, what's the funniest thing about zombies? Let's put some funny zombies in here. Mm. Let's do some stuff where when the zombie attacks, someone even does a scream-style joke and go, oh, they always do this, and takes the threat out of the zombies. It does something brilliant, which is it starts with a sitcom, and it has the sitcom attacked by zombies. Yes. <laughs> and you're really worried all the time that the zombies are going to kill the sitcom. Yeah. And it's literally a film is attacked by another film. It's like something. It's like the Crimson Permanent Assurance. <laughs> it's, like, it's another film is attempting to hijack this film, and it's happening in the background. <laughs> Sean, what's going on? Shit, it's engaged. How about an ambulance? It's engaged, Ed. Fire engine. It's one number, Ed, and it's busy. Okay, what do you want a fire engine for anyway? Anything with flashing lights, you know? They still out there. Yeah, what do you think we should do? Have a sit down. It's interesting that being uh, adjacent, like, yeah, a sitcom adjacent film is kind of what it is, isn't it? It's a, and we have, there's three of the cast members were in another sitcom adjacent film, I, I think about four years earlier. I wonder if anyone in the audience can name it. No. Not the Blessed House film. No. <laughs> um, Guest House Paradiso. Oh, my God. The, uh, oh my God. the, uh, the Bottom movie, uh, which I, was less successful. I love Bottom, but I think that, that is... You can look at that and go, that doesn't quite capture what people love about Bottom in the... Whereas, actually, yeah, what they've done is they've distilled uh, what is, you know, uh, 12 hours, 6 hours of, of comedy and gone, here it is, but, but with, with extra fun. 
Yeah, it, it, it uses all the techniques. The thing about space as well, which is which I, I suppose is the advantage, the big thing that screws up moving a sitcom into a movie mm. is that sitcoms aren't movies. They've got a different shape, they've got a different aesthetic, yeah. they've got different values. They're trying to do different things. At the end of a sitcom, nothing must have happened. Mm. Uh, you could do it with modern sitcoms because they have long arcs and things, but back then a sitcom is a completely different form. And every time they try and port it into a film, it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, the, the Lightly Lads film, which is great, is good for half an hour. It's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a great episode of The Lightly Lads and then they go on a caravanning holiday. It's not, it doesn't quite work. Yeah. The Porridge film doesn't quite work. A lot of those things you go, well, what was the Yes Minister film where they went on holiday? That was great. They went to the it's Spanish good. government. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's all falling down. Oh, my theory is falling down. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. It's that. It's, it's, it's everyone in their head has got the. 40 Towers movie where they go to Manuel's brother's hotel. Mm. It, 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 you can just write it yourself. You know how these things work. But what's great about space is that space already looked like a film. Yeah. And so one of the things, this was inspired by this one scene where uh, Simon Pegg's done too much speed, stayed up playing Resident Evil, mm. and then just appears to be shooting zombies in the flat. Yeah. And they went, we can make a whole film of that. Uh, uh. Heads up. Don't sneak up on me like that. Mm. Want a cup of tea? Yes. Mm. Because it had filmic values anyway, so the, the, the transfer is quite slick. And one of the things I think is, oh, this, is a, this is a grand stupid theory I'm going to attempt oh. this, why this film I think is brilliant and surprising. Strap in, guys. Yeah. This is going to be at you. bullshit. <laughs> go long. Um, Edgar Wright has a directing style that, if I said to you parody an Edgar Wright shot, Mm. It would involve the sound, yeah. <laughs> and what it is, that's that's the sound of someone. That's a reversed um, symbol. It's a it's a, it's a sh and it stops. Yes. It's a reversed sound, and that means you know where you're going. And the bang is usually the joke, and he goes sh boom. And what he's saying is, I know where I'm going. <laughs> like, this is pre-planned. What was funny about Spaced is that it looked edited, whip smart, and in a film that looks really sexy because he goes, this is directed. Mm. And what it means is, unlike most sitcoms, they go, hey, you've got an hour and a half. Hey, let's just improvise. Let's just see, <laughs> let's just see where the scene goes. Mm. You've got Edgar Wright, and Edgar Wright goes, no, I know where the scene's going, because it, it goes where, shoom, it goes there. <laughs> yeah. That's where we're going. So anytime anything happens in this, you know in a second, it's going to go, shoom, someone's got this. Yeah. Most one and a half hour versions of sitcoms, you get the feeling they've, they've enjoyed losing control. It could go anywhere. It's hard to lose. Hey, who cares where this goes? This, even down to the shot, knows where it starts and where it ends. And it's been written and rewritten and rewritten and rewritten mm. to a point where within a couple of minutes, you know, I'm in completely safe hands here. Yeah. And then you can relax and then you can enjoy yourself because there's a tension in watching a much-loved sitcom go to the screen. It means you go, oh, don't fuck it up. Don't <laughs> fuck it up. And that's what you get when you watch Guest House Paradiso mm. or when you, when you watch all those shitty 70s, the, the British film industry in the 70s, which was just Man About the House movies. Oh, I quite liked it on the telly, you ruined it. <laughs> Whereas what's great about space is it knows where it's going. Yes. Everything has been edited. It is about editing. And comedy's about editing. Writing's about rewriting. And those guys have got this. And the, the confidence summed up by... Sh -boof. Yes. That okay, that's a gag. Take car, go to Mum's, kill Phil. Sorry. Grab Liz, go to the Winchester, have a nice cold pint, and wait for all this to blow over. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Yeah, boy! Yeah. It's a film that's constantly on the move as well, isn't it? Yeah. Whether yes. the camera's on the move or the characters are on the move, it's a very sort of kinetic thing, isn't it? And it's always on to the next, the next thing. Like, I, d I did some improv uh, training, and the thing in improv training they teach you is about the game. Every scene needs to have a game, otherwise it becomes static and it becomes uh, boring. It's just two people talking. So uh, at every stage, we're moving on to a new game. We're moving on to, this is the bit where uh, they're trying to kill zombies using uh, records and they don't want to throw certain <laughs> records and that's the, that's the fun scene. This is the scene. This is the game where there's too many people in a car and there's a deathbed scene. Um, this is the everyone auditioning to be a zombie so they can then walk out and not be spotted. Each bit is like, oh, there's that scene where that fun game is being played. Yes. And, and as such, yeah, I think it just absolutely whips along because you go, oh, it's, an, it's another fun bit, and there's very few joiner scenes where nothing is sort of being presented. It's mm. got that in common with all the great comedy movies that people say, that's the, the name your top ten. Mm. It's almost always true that what they are is a, se a, a series of terrific sketches that have been really well thought out and strung together. And uh, as David Quantic said, the ultimate Oxbridge, uh, <laughs> Oxbridge film is uh, a series of sketches strung over someone else's structure. 
Yes. Um, and this has got the structure of a zombie movie. Mm. Weirdly, I think the structure of this is absolutely so tight yeah. that it's better than most zombie movies. Because it's got, it's got an opening act, which is a sitcom, mm -hmm. where you go, here's the guy, they share a flat, it's men behaving badly, it's a bit spaced. Mm. It's a bit of Simon Noy kind of a slacker con. <laughs> uh, you can imagine it's a Kevin Smithy kind of vibe to it. Yeah. And then it stops that. And the moment the zombies come in, you've got three acts. And the first act is get everyone. Mm. So you get everyone together. The second one is get there. Yeah. And they have to get somewhere that they've decided is the, the citadel, the safe place. And the third bit is defend the place. Yeah. And oddly, that's a structure that's so tight. We're going, that's from zombie movies. I've not seen that done that tightly in zombie movies usually. It's really disciplined. It's got three things. And at any scene, you as an audience member, while you're laughing at the jokes and enjoying the characters, you know exactly where they're going. Even if they're taking trampolines across fences and there are no, like slapstick gags, there's no there's no sense in which you don't know where Simon Pegg's going when yeah. he's asking about doing that. And it also suits the theme of the film, which is a man who is aimless, mm -hmm. who suddenly finds not even adulthood, but like responsibility and focus and purpose. Yeah. And the film starts off ambling and then goes, "We're going there." <laughs> and obviously, the big joke is the Winchester. Where's that great gag? Is, your idea of a romantic night out in a defensible citadel or a safe fortress yeah. is the same thing. Yeah. And oddly, but I, I think, think I'm with him on that, you know. Yeah. I, yeah. I think uh, <laughs> if there were a zombie apocalypse, I'd think, well, I'm off to the pub. Yeah. <laughs> that, that seems like a perfectly reasonable um, way of dealing with it. But oddly, I, I think it's defensible as a piece of like quite clever thematic writing. Because the joke is, everyone goes, he wouldn't go to the pub. But what's he defending? He's defending his family. Yeah. And his family, at the beginning, oh, God, this is brilliant. They're turning 30, aren't they, being this? The, the cast yeah, and the characters. Yeah. And I had forgotten, because I'm uh, turning 30 is a long time ago for me, but turning 30, you have so many families when you're turning 30. Mates from college, flatmates, uh, your actual family you grew up with, your, your partner, your best mate, the guys mm. from work. And this film is just, he visits all those families on the way and then decides to pick his best ones from them <laughs> and put them in the safest place he can. Yeah. And he builds a little family in that pub. Um, what else is a pub except it's Cheers? It's, it's the people who are most valuable to you. And oddly, thematically, and in a sitcom sense, he builds a perfect sitcom family and then defends them from arseholes. Yeah. Which is thematically great. I mean, that, someone has said to him, what's important to you? You're just about to turn 30, you're a slacker. Mm. What do you want to do? And he goes, go to the pub with the best people in the world. <laughs> Fucking great. What yeah. a great story. What a brilliant story. That's, a be that's better than Zombies Attack. Mm. That's a proper story. Well, I feel, uh, you know, my, my background is, I perform, but I, I'm, I consider myself mainly a writer. And I think that it seems sometimes un, it's very uncool because, uh, to sort of talk about a uh, comedy film, especially in terms of the writing, because I think deep down, everyone wants to believe that comedy is all Borat. And it's all Sasha Baron Cohen going out and risking his life and doing crazy <laughs> things. And then it gets edited down to, uh, uh, to sort of 90 minutes and they find a plot in it. Whereas what I love about it is that it is a script that was filmed and edited to the script, yeah. and this is always what they wanted it to be from moment one. It's every line of the script is working overtime. Yes. Um, I've got, if I may, yeah, my first it. one. There's, I, I, I screenshotted from the screenplay uh, one scene that I just wanted to be, it's 10 lines long, and it's just really interesting to go through it and go, what is, what is being done in that scene? So it's ext in florist evening. A distressed businessman, crying loudly, runs past the window of a florist. Inside, Sean watches him go. Florist, sir? Sure. Sean. Uh, sorry, yeah, um, my mum. Florist. Produces some tags. To, to a wonderful, wonderful mum or pow, super mum? Um, first one. Sean writes out his card and hands it back. He looks back to see at the street. On the other side of the road is a scruffy man on the steps of a church, surrounded by pigeons. Sean watches as the scruffy man swipes at the pigeons. Amazingly, he catches one. Sean's transfixed as the scruffy man raises the pigeon to his mouth. Surely he isn't going to. The bus pulls up outside. Sean cranes to see through the window. When the bus pulls away, the scruffy man is gone. Now, in that scene, which is like, obviously it's playing the game of, we're, we're building up the tension, something's, a, I love that bit in zombie films, the something's awry scene, which is like, you don't see a zombie, but you see like a missing poster or something, or you see just like some blood. So he's doing that. It's got, the, uh, it's got a great part for like an, an actress who has two lines, but has really fun lines to deliver. To a wonderful mum or pal, sofa mum. Um, it's setting up, um, the first one. Ah, uh, the first one. Which is then called back when he has to decide which of the zombies he wants to take on. Change one, Colonel Blunt. Uh, the first one. So that's a, they're seeding that line in. Also, to, to a wonderful mum they're seeding because that will be uh, what gets him caught out by Liz when she finds out the flowers aren't actually for her. And at the end, when his mum's in her death throes, and that's, I think, the, the, her final words. I never thanked you. For what? For these two wonderful. Mum, 
been a funny sort of day, hasn't it? <laughs> oh no, 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 no! Come on, come on! Ah, oh, to a wonderful mum, and and so just in that sort of those lines, everything is earning its place. There is not a single beat of that scene that isn't work, you know, doing three or four jobs, basically. That is a fucking brilliant bit of observation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're it's absolutely right about every single bit of that. It's yeah. doing so much work. Isn't yeah. It? And and also within that is a it's not it's a funny it's a good sitcom scene. Yeah. But the the guy uh, biting the the pigeon is a good gross out moment. So yes. It's it's completely cleaving to the rules of horror. Mm-hmm. And also I remember. Um, William Goldman does this. He, he, he prints in one of his books the script for North by Northwest, mm. the crop dusting scene. Yeah. And at the end of it, he goes, and which bits of that did Alfred Hitchcock do? And it's true. <laughs> you can direct to the page. And obviously, this is a script written by Edgar Wright. Yes, yeah. He is directing to the page. And one of the things you're always told as a writer, because of these strange power structures of production, mm. is don't write to the page. Let the director decide. Mm. Goes, but what if you know what you're doing? Yeah. <laughs> you can quite happily write to the page that. That's not intrusive. There are yeah. a million ways of shooting that. Mm-hmm. But that is, when you, when you read that out, no one who has seen the film didn't know, yeah, I've seen that, I've seen that. Mm. It didn't get workshopped afterwards. It's Because it's, it, it already works. Yeah. One of the lovely things about this, this, this film as well is it came out in the golden age of DVD onto DVD, which people don't know now, it's an ITV2 now. <laughs> Hot fuzz in a minute. Yeah. Um, <laughs> World's End, not as often. Um, <laughs> but they've got... Because... Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Judging. Judging. I'm just doing the truth of the schedule. Yeah. Um, but we... Uh, one of the things, it came out in the golden age of DVD, and if you bought that DVD, it wasn't like a massive like, multi-disc set. No. But what was on it was this astonishing little toolkit on the extras menu of how it was made. Mm. Really good commentaries, lovely zombie cams. There's a lovely zombie cam from, there's got lots of uh, partner and people messing about. Mm. There's a really nice uh, Joe Cornish being a zombie for the final scene, doing a little video diary of what it was like to be shot. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and then there's also just the most amazing thing, which is Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, before the film's made, with a flip chart yes. on which they have written the entire script down. Not on post-it notes. The post-it notes are behind them on the wall. So they've clearly done the post-it phase that all writers like doing, shifting things around. They know the order of what's happening. But on that post-it, on that flip chart, they've written everything they need to know to make the film. And it's the brainstorm in order of yeah. the film. An incredibly focused demonstration of where their minds were at. Hello. Welcome to the initial stages of Shaun of the Dead, the film that rocked the world. <laughs> this is, uh, we, we are now looking at a time capsule. This is the original, what we like to call the flip draft, which is before we actually wrote the script. So hopefully what you see here is what you might have watched. If it's drastically different, then something done went really fucked up. Something done fuck up. <laughs> and the detail on that is stuff they knew so that when they were on set making this, they knew what they were going to do every day. Because it's a low-budget film, $6 million, mm. to make quite an impressive-looking movie. So the thing they don't want to do is to go, uh, I don't really know what that kind of thing do. <laughs> the, the thing, talk to any director, all they do is get asked questions. Yeah. And you need to have those answers. One of the best things you can do is email a director to say, do you want to go for a drink? Because they say, yep. <laughs> uh, they answer straight away. They don't do what I do, which is think, I might answer that later. They're really good. And that flip chart, I'm going to read some bits of the flip chart, because I love oh, great. the flip chart. They've got character notes for the characters. And it's quite of its time as well. They flip over to the page that's got Liz's character, uh, uh, Simon Pegg's girlfriend's character on it. And they went, we're two men, we want to give us some, uh, some depth. And they've written at the top, Liz is a 34D. They uh, <laughs> <laughs> started with the important stuff. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, I mean, it's a bit like Beryl Reed, you've got to know what the shoes are like before you get the character. Mm. They did the bra first. <laughs> While we're at Liz, by the way, Kate Ashfield, I was sitting there going, she's taking my breath away she looks fantastic doesn't she she really sticks to the screen she's, she's a good brilliant bit of yeah yeah she falls she's a fall now i think they were aware they needed a really good they couldn't just get a, uh, someone one of their mates from a sitcom in there they mm-hmm. want a good actress in there yes they, they said look we've got to give uh, there's a sitcom at the heart of this there's a there's, they call it a zom rom-com the love interest has got to be interesting and there's got to be an actual story there mm. so they've got these notes about Liz. <laughs> Which, if you pause it, and like I've done, and then blow it up, you can see, Liz's favourite movies are the truth about cats and dogs and a life less ordinary. <laughs> <laughs> they completely are. Yeah. Um, see, um, the David and Diane, which is uh, Dylan Moran and Lucy Davis's characters. Yes. The, the couple that, that Simon Pegg doesn't like. Who had dubbed uh, Harry Potter and Britney Spears in the commentary. Those are the... <laughs> but the notes there are brilliant. Uh, uh, D- David is a photographer's assistant. He went to Wimbledon Art College. He does mainly pack shots. <laughs> All his girlfriends have looked like Liz. 
He went to Thailand for a week after reading The Beach. <laughs> this is my favorite. Favorite album, Trainspotting Soundtrack. <laughs> oh, this is Diane's book. She's, she's a failed actress, they say. Di has been on Crime Stoppers playing a Romany bag snatcher <laughs> and in an all-female production of Bouncers. <laughs> she loves Blood Brothers, hates musicals, loves Smack the Pony. And I love the idea that these characters exist in the world of television comedy. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. They have their favourite TV comedies. They've done this just so it means they've got a shortcut to it, not only for the costume design and everything, but for themselves. They, I think, they've got the answers. Sort of so, I think this also speaks to a generosity that, uh, that Edgar Wright has, because he, he's very good with behind-the-scenes stuff. He's yeah. very good with extras. Back in the DVD era, which 85-year-old next week, Joel. <laughs> I've still um, got my DVDs. Yeah. I, I couldn't Prized find, my, I couldn't find my DVD to watch it this week, so I had to download it, so, mm. which is a shame, because I know it's brilliant for extra. They got you there, the but man got you. There's, a, there's another bit of generosity here, which I think I, we were just talking about this out on the Rotunda Terrace. Yes. My favourite line in the film is absolutely thrown away, goes nowhere, does nothing. Mm -hmm. And it's when they point to a guy at the bar called Snake Hips and say, he strangled his first wife with a draft excluder and invented the mobile disco. <laughs> they go, that's a line, if I'd written that line, I'd have gone home. Yeah. <laughs> that's it, I've done everything for the day. Yeah. It's nowhere, it's nothing, but it's such a lovely generosity of spirit to go, yeah. in the cracks in this film where nothing needs to be happening, I can sling you a zinger like that. Yeah. That, that cast of people, the bar regulars, that sort of oddly, they go, well, that's another family, a little mm -hmm. nested family, people they know from down the Winchester. Yeah. Uh, the woman who's, who's nursing the scotch in the background who looks... I can't remember what her biographical note is. You'll know, it's off by heart. Yeah. But yeah, there's, there's a little woman who then comes back as a featured zombie yeah. during the zombie attack. That is... Uh, Paul Butler told me this on text this morning. Patricia Franklin. She's the mother of Charlotte Hatherley from Ash. She's the soundtrack for A Life That's Ordinary. Oh, wow. Uh, she's, she's Charlotte Hatherley's mum. Mm. And she's... The in Ash the Modern Band. Ash the Modern Band. Yeah. They came out last year. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't have heard of them. They're very modern. <laughs> Charlotte Hadley's mum is there. Nurse, I think Edgar Wright was going out with Charlotte Hadley at the yes, time. Yeah. And Patricia Franklin is in Carry On Girls <laughs> as the intimidating woman at June Whitfield's side, side oh. almost in the bra burnings. <laughs> yes, it's great. But they, they put these character actors in and they've gone, gone, well, we'll give them some story. Because yeah. you've got these great faces. Yeah. And also, that's how the world looks to you when you're sitting in a pub all day. You yeah. make up stories about the people around you. There's a lovely depiction of that fecklessness when they've all got loads of time because this is a story about turning 30 mm. what are you going to do what are you going to give up from <laughs> that previous lose. life yeah. what are you going to do and, and that going oh god what if I have to compromise mm. god what if I have to compromise and that's what the threat is at the beginning if I, if I want this wonderful woman I'm in love with I'm going to have to not be 22 yeah and he's weighing up all those different families and all those different loyalties he's got mm -hmm. um and at the beginning, I mean, watching it now, older, when I watched this the first time, probably was nearer their age. And I watched it at the beginning, and I thought, what a bunch of arseholes. <laughs> and that lovely way that as you grow up, films yeah. change. And you go, oh, like, I watched Close Encounters as a grown-up, and go, Let, I'll go back to your family, you dick. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, I went, he's going to go with the aliens, mm. the boring people have been left behind. <laughs> and this, I was going, oh, God, you selfish prick. Are you going to fight for that fat bastard on a sofa? Yeah. It's awful. <laughs> um, and then by the end of the film, because it's really well written, I loved them all. The weird thing is that that opening, which is a classic slacker comedy yeah. opening, they're not very nice. No. But I still love them. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, they, uh, what is a, a, a motif that goes through a lot of what Simon Pegg does is he will be the centre and then he will surround himself with the angel and the devil on each shoulder. Yeah. So in space, he's friends with Brian and he's friends with Mike. And Brian is his art because the character of Tim Bisley is a graphic designer. And Brian is like a, a, a sort of insane artist and takes that to the nth degree. Yeah. And Mike is his aggression and everything else because he's obsessed with being in TA. And so I think similarly, you've got at the start, um, you've got uh, Sean, and Sean has Ed, who's the side of him that is can't be asked anymore. Yeah. You know, has not got no drive at all. And then you've got Pete Serafinowitz, yeah. who plays Pete, who's incredible, who is like the most tightly wound, <laughs> ambitious businessman. <laughs> And he's wrestling between the two. And ultimately, yeah. one... I mean, it, I, I've read a few kind That's of... It's a very marquee performance from Peter Serpil, which it never occurred to me. It's got yes. a lot of marquee in it. Yeah, yeah, he's got that kind of... That, mm, yes, good. That sort of marquee-ness. The first time I... Lucky enough, I met Mark Key once outside a pub with Peter Serafinovich, and oh, he wow. came up and I said, What are you doing? He said, I'm very busy, very busy. <laughs> <laughs> I, said, um, I said, What are you doing? He said, I'm working on a sitcom. So, what's it called? It's called The Lady and the Man. <laughs> nothing's happened to it, but my God, that's the best sitcom ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's really pared down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I, you didn't think you'd see a Mark Heap impression, or that there was one to be had. But yeah, we both <laughs> trotted ours out. Um, and so yeah, like there's a film, you know, at, at the end of this film, his ambitious side murders his, uh, his slacker side, and he has to stand there and watch. Oh God, yes. And like, I think, I, because they put so much detail into the films, I can't help but think that's what they intended. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. One of the things that makes this brilliant is that once you've strapped in, mm. and once you've got past the I mean, sort of 10 minutes, if you've accepted it and gone, I'm going to watch them do the thing, <laughs> he's going to go and save his girlfriend, and he wants mm. to go and see his mum, I've, I've, I've accepted it. Once it starts, and I think the, the, the bite is that great scene where he's staggering through uh, North London twice. Yes. Once with ordinary people and once with zombies, <laughs> and they match beautifully. And you go, oh, these guys know what they're doing. So yeah. I'm in. But once you strap in at that point, it's irresistible. And you suddenly find yourself at the end. Yeah. And it's done because everything is clear. Mm. You know what he thinks about everybody. You know what everybody thinks about him. People, in a funny way, declare their feelings about yeah. him. Yeah. Tell him what the things... You know, when I joked about uh, Dylan Maron's character, all his girlfriends look like Liz, mm. you know that. They say that. Yeah. That's a bit of backstory. They throw away in a little line, and you go, well, that's a. There's a whole of their lives is in that one line. You go, oh, this has always been a target. No wonder he doesn't like them. Now I understand. Yeah, yeah. Everything's very clear. And by the end, you get to that point where I think on the commentary there, so we started putting the jokes out towards the end because the stakes got too high. Yes. And when he's cradling Penelope Wilton, and she's, you know, she's going to die. Mm. The deathbed scene with Bill Nye is touching and uh, quite beautifully done, but it's comic and they're in a car. By that point where they're defending the bar, they're hidden behind the bar of the Winchester with Penelope Wilton, and it's his mum. And that's a really, really good scene. There's no, there are jokes in there, but you don't really hear them. And they said they really pull jokes out of that. Yeah. Because by that point, they have earned a total thing of, you've killed your best friend. Mm-hmm. Your, your relationship with your mum is in trouble. Who are you? That's a proper film. Yeah. And that, again, the great thing about this is that's a zombie pastiche. It's not a parody, it's a pastiche. It borrows elements. But mm. It doesn't mean that it's not intending for you to not enjoy zombie films again. Yeah. It's meant to celebrate them. But by the end of this, that's a better ending than any zombie film I've seen. <laughs> As in, the whole point of zombies, what The Walking Dead was about, was saying, okay, your family's at stake. The great thing that The Return, the French series got, was that, what if the dead are coming back? They're, they're your family. Mm. It's, this is a stupid film, and it's got that in it all the way through. It takes the idea of death really seriously. Oh, no, 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 no. Come on, come on, stop it, stop it, stop it. No, Mum, please, don't go. And it's, it's a film about growing up, and there's, there's a trillion comedy films about white men learning to grow up. We've got it. <laughs> that is... Oh, I I, think, and it's quite handy if a woman rolls their eyes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. On the poster, especially. Can they fold their arms and roll their eyes? <laughs> You get, Can the men be coming in a water flume? Yeah. Oh, I'd love that film. Ideally, you get the most talented uh, female comedians around and get them to do... N- just go... Oh, and that is it. They've earned their peak. Um, and it's, uh, with this, like, it's the, the only one I've seen where literally to grow up, the, the, the protagonist has to murder his mum. He has to kill the parents in order to then become the adult. And it, it does I mean, it... In Freudian terms, it's pretty much on the nose, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What are you going to do to grow up? Well, first I have to kill the previous generation. Shit, that's just <laughs> what has to happen. You'll have to bury them, right? Yes. Okay, fine. Okay, this is quite grown up. You yeah. just want I'm 40. <laughs> and then, of course, you do... I mean, if, uh, I, I do read a lot about like the screenplay theory and stuff, and it, it, it maps perfectly, because after he's uh, killed the mum, then it, there's always the thing about going into the cave. 
that your hero must go into the cave. All this, you know, like Luke Skywalker literally does it in Empire Strikes Back. There's a cave. Starting to think Lucas may not have been the genius we got. But anyway, I, I, th- uh, I think I think isn't the story that between the first one and the second one he read the books that everyone said he must have read. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so apparently he hadn't. He, they were on his course unit at university. Yeah. And he hadn't read them. Apparently he read loads of them between the first and the second one to make the film that everyone thought he'd made the first yeah. time. Around. The first one's just Flash Gordon. Bucket. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Second one is Flash Gordon, but it's painted its room black. You can't see Noddy's bells. It's pretty. pretty <laughs> it's a proper grown-up film. It's about some shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's that scene. So it's a, so their cave is the uh, is the, the the beer cellar. They end up in the cellar, and that's yeah. where he acts. That's where they talk about they talk about killing. Like they talk about the logistics of murdering themselves, which is really great as well because Simon Pegg's such a natural comedic actor. Even in those moments where it's like at its absolute lowest, he's there going. Yeah. <laughs> that's called a stand up to call that the act out. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's great. Um, and she and so they're actually wrestling with it and so they go, and then they they're sort of reborn out of the cave and everything and it all it all maps perfectly. And I think going back to the the uh, the flip chart that they have, one thing that's crucial um, is I suppose if you watch that extra, it's fun to watch. <laughs> Cafe, lunch. Edgar is booty vicious. Fact. Uh, that's not in the film. No, but Edgar is a bit Uh Stuff in the kind of show. Them doing the flip chart is entertaining, and that's the first test of if you've got a film, surely, yeah. is if describing it to someone is a fun experience. Yeah. Well, th- that's a writing technique that took us years to fucking learn. Um, mm. And I always said that whenever we got stuck with someone, I'd say, well, what was funny down the pub? And the answer is, what you've usually fucked up is you've taken out what was funny down the pub. Yeah. And uh, it's Go back to, if, you're, if you wanted a sketch about a man bringing a parrot back to a shop, and by the time you'd written it, it wasn't about that. Go, it, we laughed at the parrot, <laughs> yeah. the parrot being dead. Go back, what, what initially made you laugh? And part of that is also true of storytelling. I was talking to Katie Brand after we'd, um, we'd done her Rule of Three, and she said, she, when she's writing anything narrative, she put a post-it note above her computer, and she said, just tell the story. Yeah. And you get so caught up in sort of screenwriting theory and comedy theory and things. The most valuable thing is, okay, go down the pub now and tell someone what your book's about. That's... Sean, that's Ed, and as you see, Sean and Ed are at the garden gate. He's got a cricket bat with nails in it, and he's got a tire iron. Obviously, very well drawn there. We're not sure if those are the weapons they will eventually. Hey, we didn't put up in there, No, that's not in there yet. The question is on everybody's lips. What the fuck is up with London? People evacuating, people running around the state, panic, traffic jams. One of the really useful things that happens in, in TV, as well as that sometimes they ask you before you finished it. Yeah. Uh, we had to do this recently for Radio Times listing. Mm-hmm. So what's episode two about? And you're like, I'm finished it yet. Yeah? <laughs> uh, and they go, well, you've got one line. And you go, oh, uh, he finds his dead dad. Oh, brilliant. That's yeah, what yeah. About. But force yourself occasionally to go, well, if I had to describe this song really quickly, an elevator pitch almost, but yeah. oddly that seems slightly cynical and commercial. But at some point, someone, Sean French said this about the, the Terminator. Yeah. So the Terminator is made of six things you tell your friend in the playground the next day. Yeah. He said, and if any film's got, most films have got two of those. He's got six. Mm. And he said, that is how you tell stories. And the great thing about that flip chart thing, it's them doing, oh, oh, here comes another thing. You won't believe what happens in this one. They fight people with records. Yeah. And they're all, that lovely thing someone said is that every scene of anything you write has the potential to be the best scene in it. Yeah. So you should always go back. And if there's a scene that's just making way, could you get that scene to a point where you would go down the pub in a minute and tell a friend you were so excited about it? Yeah. And that's a really good trick because that takes you back from theory and things to saying, all you're doing is telling a story. And those guys with the flip chart, that's the most round of fire, oral tradition. Mm. I've got this great story. It, it's, it's like watching Beowulf, bit, <laughs> but it's got better gags. Yeah. <laughs> Blood on the streets, yeah? That's the jogger zombie. I think we should have a, a crashed Cessna. It is that um, you, yeah, I, I think all stories should be told I- I- at first as if you've seen the film you've seen the film in your head and you're trying to convince your mate to see it and you're yeah. like so you know it, you know it exists and you're trying to go oh no go and see it because there's this incredible bit and this is really fun and he falls off a fence it's great um, how, how many films that you I was just thinking this how many films I love I'd probably put in my top ten started with someone doing that mm. I remember my cousin saying there's this film there's this film at the end of it the guy's head melts <laughs> like, like they open this box I can't remember what the fucking box is yeah. but this guy's head <laughs> melts and I went I am seeing that film now yeah. and someone came to me in the playground and went there's this new Monty Python film guy gets so fat he explodes <laughs> it's like they're dealing drugs to you go you think you've seen some shit there's yeah. a film of man's head explodes and you go, 
I've, you know, I've never seen Scanners, but I know the playground version of Scanners. Yeah. <laughs> when, when I first went to see Airplane, I was disappointed it wasn't a film about some shit flying into a fan. Yeah. <laughs> the amount of people said, you will not believe what happens. Yeah. Um, so where's the fan in the plane? Is, mm. it, like, is it the plane crashing and the shit goes through the plane? Yeah. And uh, when I saw it, it was just a gag in the background. <laughs> but, but I tell you what, to eight-year-olds, that's what the film's about. Yeah. Wait, just wait till you see the Muppet version of the human caterpillar. <laughs> 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 Who's at the front? <laughs> Hang on, we're going to do the middle order. Yeah. Hang on, Bunsen Honeydew's responsible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, somehow Beaker is like there twice or something. That would be the... Oh, two Beakers. Yeah. <laughs> Should we leave this post? Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, right. I have to say, I watched this um, this week in preparation for this uh, mm -hmm. podcast, and the following morning went out very early for uh, a hospital appointment. And the thing about visiting hospitals is it's full of people who are slightly compromised. Maybe they're physically compromised, maybe they're upset because they're there because something unpleasant has happened or is about to happen. And it's full of a lot of people m who are moving fairly slowly. <laughs> <laughs> and I really freaked myself out. I got quite scared looking at these people going, has, this, has it happened? <laughs> one of the things that's great about this is, well, something, if you're British, this is great. I mean, I, we were talking to, to Mark Haynes from Great Big Owl earlier on, and, and Mark was saying, he said, well, I, I lived there. When I first went to see it, yeah. it was my film. Mark said the story about going to see Hellboy 2, uh, which is set in New York, in New York, and New York audiences are slightly uh, vocal. And there's one, they just kept shouting, that's my house! <laughs> <laughs> While watching the, the superhero antics. Mm. And you think, there's a real whiff of that. If you're from London, you go, God, they've done this. And it reminds you of the other great horror comedy that it springs from, which is Ghostbusters. Yes. Which takes its ghost seriously and does its comedy on top. And similarly, it's got some people who come from TV comedy to do a big film. And they've managed to do both. It's frightening, exciting, and also funny. But that's got that love affair with, with, with America, with a sort of kind of, there's a sort of swaggery. We're from Brooklyn, don't fuck with us. Yeah. Actually, there's a real London, or even just an urban feel. This is an urban 2000s, this is my age group. It celebrates that. And it, the specificity of it, the fact that it looks like that, it's lovely. Apparently, uh, the news agent that he shambles to, mm -hmm. uh, to go and get his supplies twice and the blood on the fridge, now has a sign just in the window that just says, we do Cornettos. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's, that's the really subtle kind of mm. British underplayed thing, going, there are, there are tourists. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, tell the ladies and gentlemen. Oh yeah, sorry. I was going to bring Cornettos for everyone. Uh, <laughs> but it's such a nice day. Uh, the two places I went to, they were all sold out. So that is, but it would have happened and it would have been great. So you're welcome. <laughs> Imagine, can everyone lick their imaginary cornetos? Yeah. Imagine how good that would be. Uh, but, but it's so true, like the, uh, I actually, I went on a little pilgrimage to the, to that walk he does, uh, yeah. and oh, also right. to the, uh, to his parents' house as well, to, uh, which is in Abbott's Gardens, uh, if anyone wants to go, and, um, it's so true that you don't get to, I watch Richard Curtis films, which I have great affection for, but I, I don't live in those houses because I'm not a trillionaire. Like, those, those, like, muse, or even, like, 101 Dalmatians or something like that, you know, they live in that, like, muse house where you're like, that's where diplomats live. Like, that's, they have an armed guard outside those kind of houses. Whereas I, I, I've lived and I've walked to corner shops just like that. Yeah. Um, and it's it, not got, it's not set in, obviously, it's not, it's, it's not set in Paddington, London. Yes. It's yeah. not set in the Mary Poppins storybook London that Americans usually like. What's great as well is it opens up with a working title logo. Mm. And for the first 10 minutes, it's a sort of slacker rom-com. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a misstep. And you go, oh, it's going to be... We've had loads of these little London comedies about a, a man trying to get a girl. Mm. We've seen this before. This is, it opens up. And I love I loved the way that logos affect how you watch a <laughs> film. There was a great thing when they, they, the rewrite of Toy Story 2 was because someone said, this isn't working. It says Disney at the beginning. We know nothing bad's going to happen. Oh. And so they put Jesse's song in there to say, if you go home, you'll die. <laughs> and they said that was to, that was to counteract the logo. And this yeah. opens the working title logo, and you go, well, it's London. Mm. And then afterwards, oh, it's not that London. No, and it's then great. it's a bit shabby, though, uh, yeah, I th I, I, some of the locations, the great thing about it is it's a, a memorial to a London that's gone as well. Is that in pubs? I looked up the Winchester because I thought, I recognise that pub. That's a pub in Shepherd's Bush that I've been to. Mm. And it's not. New Cross. It's a New pub called the Duke of Albany in New Cross, which was turned into flats yeah. in 2008. Stop closing pubs! <laughs> <laughs> what happens when the zombies attack and we can't get into the flats? <laughs> <laughs> Terrible last scene. Uh, and apparently the, uh, the, the dealers, the, the actual Winchester, I like this as well, the actual mm. Winchester uh, wasn't the pub that Frost and Peg spent their life in. There, there was a Winchester in NNA, in a, in a, sort of around yeah. that kind of way. Uh, and they, the place they were in is, I forgot what it was called now, it's now called Mark the Boogaloo. Mill. Shepherd's 
Shepherds, so, thank the, you. The, Very the, good. The pub that, that Peg and Frost used to drink in was the Shepherds, uh, which is now the Boogaloo. It's like a music venue. Mm. Uh, but down the road was a pub called the Winchester, and they stole the name because there had to be a gun above the bar. Yes. So uh, yeah, yeah. you can make a pilgrimage to the Winchester, it's the wrong one. Yeah. <laughs> They're digging in the wrong place. <laughs> It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, what I love as well is, yeah, you've got working titles, so you're like, oh, this will be nice. And it's an all-out assault in the first minute to go, no, no, no. They drop the C-bomb, the fourth line in, something it's like that. so good. Yeah. <laughs> Can I get any of you cunts a drink? Well, I, one thing I found out in the commentary as well was, like, I think Kate Ashfield and Simon Pegg were, were meant to be in, but not in Love Actually. Oh, yeah, really? they were in the read-through. So Simon Pegg became uh, Rowan Atkinson, and I think what? Yeah, so Simon Pegg. I think, what did he go into? Chrysalis. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Whoa, what a film. So the idea was that I think, and you must have heard this, that like uh, Rowan Atkinson's job in Love Actually was meant to be like a guardian angel who touches everyone's story at some point. And in the way that things get edited, oh. they went no. Nah. And but he's still in there a bit, and that would have been Simon Pegg was going to be that, and then I think Kate Ashfield was going to be Laura Linney, maybe. Wow. Yeah. American. So so yeah, it was like, and so they are the they're like the rejects of the working title <laughs> uh, conveyor belt, and they've sort of fallen off onto the floor and made this grungier, kind of darker film about a, a darker London that I think we recognise more. In a well, way. it's got a lovely. I mean, obviously, one of the, the great gags that everyone loves in this is where they bump into this themselves. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. And it's just so beautifully done. And also, the great thing is that they're the people from the other sitcoms. Yeah, yeah. The thing about it, they match up with the hats and everything. Matt, it's Matt Lucas at the back. Yeah. <laughs> another Nick Frost, a spare yeah. Nick Frost. <laughs> it's the idea so that, good. It's the idea that it's a real Rosencrantz and Guildenstern joke. It's always one of my favourite jokes. Somewhere there's a much better version of this film happening yeah. with those guys. That ends up with them getting unit in to sort of smash everyone up. The exciting zombie film is happening just over the hill. Yeah, yeah. And it's got Jess Hines in it, and it's great. And so, you, you, didn't, you didn't buy that ticket. That's in the, that's in the next cinema across. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what three. when it when it when it went out in uh, in the states. I wonder what the you know because people loved it in the states. I wonder what that scene meant to them because if you haven't seen Black Books, which I don't know if it travelled that well in the states, but like you're just going, it's a funny gag, I suppose, and it stands up on its own that they look similar and everything else. But there's another layer for British comedy fans to go, well, oh, I get this. There's a funny thing we found this. God, we found this to our financial advantage and disadvantage. Mm. There's an American comedy fandom that loves British comedy, <laughs> which is why Adrian Edmondson's in Star Wars and things. Oh, yeah. love, and they love Rick Mayall and things, and they, they seek it out, and they find it, they find it on Netflix now, or they, the young ones are on MTV. There, yeah. there's, a, there's, a, there's a crossover you don't appreciate, and it's niche and small. Yeah. But we did, when we did our Ladybird books, we did them, we, we rewrote them for America. And I don't think the Americanized version sold anywhere near as well as people buying them in Williamsburg oh, on yeah. British import. There's a real, like we like subtitled Scandinavian drama. Yeah. They love having the thing raw. Mm. And so the possibility is the kind of audience who'd be going out to watch Shaun of the Dead might have seen those shows or yeah. imported them or know about them. I think there's a, there's a connoisseurship in American uh, comedy circles of British comedy mm-hmm. that the best thing to do is just to talk to it directly and just never talk down to it. There's, they, they change one line uh, in the script to, uh, for Americans. Do you know what line that is? No. Yeah. Um, when, they see, uh, when they see Mary out in the garden uh, and they spot her there and because you're British and they think she's drunk they, they, they originally were going to say oh she's pissed which is what oh, you'd say yeah. but actually the only reason you change that is Americans would be fine if you use a different word but for them pissed means angry and yeah. suddenly the whole, the whole meaning of the scene changes by that so they changed it and I think it's a, a yeah, fine suddenly compromise suddenly she becomes a vengeful zombie exactly yeah, yeah 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 it's like she's out there and she's pissed yeah <laughs> Oh my God. She's so drunk. <laughs> oh, trivia, love. Oh, she likes you. It, it's, it's uncompromisingly British. Mm. And because of that, it did really good business in the States. Yeah. And that's, that's always exciting when you go, oh, good. In a sort of, there's a little sort of hometown hero thing. You go, this is like Python, it's great. Mm. It's sort of transported over there and it went to an audience. I've got to read you this because I love this. I sometimes look up terrible reviews. Uh, <laughs> because it's really good in a room for people who like something to read someone Ooh. being rude about something. Uh, this is another gift from Partner. He said, when it first came out, there was a review that everyone on the crew went, oh, fuck this. <laughs> and it was Cosmo Landsman in the Times. And I finally managed to get the Times app to work to give me access to can we it. Have that, can we have that reaction again? Cosmo Lansman, the time. Here we go. I was going to read this act. This is good. It goes, uh, the director, Edgar Wright, and his co-writer, Simon Pegg, and the men behind the cult Channel 4 series, Spaced. And they definitely write for a certain type of audience. Who will love this film? Who are they? 
wacky students, sci-fi nuts, red dwarf fans, <laughs> stoners who have bongs for brains. It's the perfect film for the sort of chap who thinks that his addiction to B-horror movies makes him interesting. <laughs> who hurt you? <laughs> But that, that happened a lot. I think there was, because it's a British film and we have this, you know, the British have a slight sort of, oh, we're not very good, really. Uh, especially in the entertainment industry, actually, it, not politically. That's a whole different thing. But um, <laughs> as we found. But so, uh, so obviously, Edgar Wright was very young. I, I think he must have been in his early 30s. I don't think he even turned 30. Wow. I think wow. he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's just wow. on the edge there. I think if he directed this in 2003, he's born in 74, so he's 29. Blimey. So he's 29 and he doesn't look like, so people don't assume he's the director. And apparently, one of the zombies extras came up to him uh, not knowing, thinking he was like a runner or something and went, straight to DVD for this one. Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> straight to ITV too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, so yeah, no one, I think even at the time, even when you're surrounded by it, you can see he knows what he's doing, people are still like, yeah, but really, it's a horror film. They don't go. I think the, yeah. the thing that's magical about this is that what usually sinks sitcom to, to film adaptations is a smallness of vision or the fact that the, the, the two things don't fit together. People think they're the same. They're mm. not the same. What's great about this movie is it adheres to all the rules of a zombie film. Mm. So part of it works because it's really good. Yeah. And it's a really good zombie film and it follows those rules. But the main thing it's adhering to is the rules of sitcom. In terms of you have to know your characters. Mm -hmm. You have to know what they want. You have to tell the audience what they want. You have to make it... Those, that scene you read, you have to make their wants and needs clear through lines that have also got jokes in them. Yeah. There's all this craft that you learn doing a sitcom that's not to be thrown away or tossed lightly. Weirdly, what they've done, and you're right, they've, they've paired a lot of the gags out of it. It doesn't go gag, gag, gag. But all the rest of the sitcom values, they've kept them in. Yeah. Clarity, purpose, propulsion, uh, pace, uh, character, depth. Uh, giving the actors something to work with, letting them know who their characters are. Yeah. And then once the actors know who the characters are, when you look at Dylan Moran's face, you know what he's going to say next, which is the key to a sitcom. Everyone, oh, I know what Mannering's going to say next. Yeah, I know yeah. what Forty's going to say next. It's got all the rules of sitcom in it, and they adhere to them 100%, except for the rule that says it's half an hour long and resets. Mm. They yeah, just stuck actually, that at the got, top of a, a proper movie. They've got cake and eat it here, haven't they? Because the rule about the film and story structure is that by the end of the thing, your, your lead character needs to have learned something which has changed them. Yeah. So you've got that. Yes, he's found some balls, he's found a home life, he's actually committed to his relationship with Liz. Mm. But the sitcom rule is at the end you need to reset them so <laughs> yeah. they're back in positions for the next episode. Yeah. And sure enough, the last thing you see is him going down to the shed <laughs> to game with a zombie Nick Frost. Yeah. Who is chained up like Mongo. Yeah. <laughs> the great thing about that is you go, he's lost nothing. Yeah. yeah. Nick Frost has died and lost nothing. <laughs> so he wins. wins. Yeah. yeah. He didn't want to do anything anyway. So he's got this great scene when he go, oh, I'd be sad when his best friend died. Oddly, the jeopardy is, I hope his best friend doesn't die. Mm. That didn't make any difference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in fact, it's actually easier for everyone all round if he's in a shed. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful... Yeah, you're right, it's a parody of a sitcom ending, but they've, they've managed to hold true to everything about sitcom they loved and made space to good sitcom. Mm. And also, everything that felt was straining at the edge of space, where space wanted to be a film. Yeah. And wanted, it was directed by someone who clearly had filmic ambitions. And the two things joined together, I think, better than, than he's ever done since. Because I think, because it's still a sitcom, Yes. At heart, it's still a really good late 90s, early 2000s flat share sitcom. Yeah, there's not like, there, there's not a super cop sitcom that then spins off from Hot Fuzz, is there? No. It's not like a, whereas, and I suppose actually, and World's End is really, that's a drama. They yeah. start with the drama premise, which is a man who has attempted suicide, and, and, and so actually they, they're not starting from sitcom. This is the only one that is two blokes on a, on a sofa playing a computer game and then uh, and then another genre crashes in and, and well, you can have fun with it. I've been trying to dig this up and I cannot find who said this. I read this ages ago when I was first thinking about sort of making things mm. and I read it somewhere. It was a really good piece of advice. And they said, if you want to make a low-budget film, first of all, what have you already got? What have you got access to? And you go, well, I've got a bunch of mates who are already funny. Yeah. And I've got a bit of sitcom training and things like that. I've got this house and I've got North London. So all those assets, that's a classic low-budget thing. They said, the best piece of advice you can give to someone to make their first film, you want something that's going to land have a visceral impact and be good. So take your friends to the woods and cut them up. <laughs> and it has been the key to so many first... And you go, well, that's not just zombie films. That's Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, take yeah. your friends to a shed, cut them up. Mm -hmm. And what that gives you is you go, right, you've got nothing to play with. 
You've got friendship, mm -hmm. and you've got a visceral whoa reaction from the audience that says, okay, they're going to sit up and take notice. Yeah. And this is a perfect example of a film that aims to do nothing but that. All these mates who are hanging out in pubs in London from the comedy scene, they go, mm -hmm. do you want to come down the road and we'll just throw blood at each other? Yeah, yeah. It's the purity of that. I think it's got lots in common with, with, with Reservoir Dogs, in a sense it's a, it's a debut of a great director, mm -hmm. who afterwards would really struggle to go back to that simplicity that was actually the genius of this. Is yeah. It's... It's the perfect first film because mm -hmm. it knows exactly what it's able to do. Don't forget to kill Philip. What? And you can see why it's been replicated so many times because, like you say, because anyone who wants to start their, who wants to make a, their first film now, like taking your friends and cutting them up becomes the thing about anyone can be a zombie. Yeah. You can make anyone up to look like a zombie. And so you get, um, is it, there's a, a one shot of the dead? One cut of the dead, which one I recommend to everybody. Oh Christ, have you I, seen it? One cut of the dead. I anyone? don't like zombie films. You don't like zombie films. It's amazing. It's phenomenal. But it's the thing is- phenomenal it's, film, there's nothing else like the it. The thing that's got, we can't tell you anything about it. The thing that's got in common with this is it is a sitcom. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. came out once it was Sarah Morgan, and we came out and went, that is tighter than Frasier. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing in it that isn't. Someone from that scene has worked in sitcom. Yeah. Every character, you know what they want, know where they're going. Uh, there's farce in it. It's absolutely brilliant. It's brilliant, but it's very Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. In that they've taken sitcom values, poured them onto a zombie film, and made it a low budget film that at no minute is not trying to make you have the time of your life. Yeah. Oh, it's it's an abs it's so joyous, and it has that. It's exactly that. It's the that recaptures the spirit of what was happening in Shaun of the Dead. I think better than any of the other. You yeah, know, the Cockneys right. versus zombies, which is fine. I don't want to you know slag off <laughs> those, but uh, all those kind of things where you're like, oh no, it's just got that 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 joy of being able to have a camera and and run around with it, which feels like they have here as well, except with a man, you know, with like Edgar Wright, who just knows exactly where to point the camera at any one time. It's it's sort of yeah. There's a glorious celebration of it's innocent. Mm. But again, this guy knows what he's doing. He's cutting yeah. tight. It's not loose. It's skilled. It's a demonstration of craft and skill. And that has been used to make something naive and joyous. Mm -hmm. That people, the essence of it is everyone is, I imagine it's a hard shoot. I imagine yeah. everyone was tired. I imagine lots of the crew were going, why are we making this thing? Like all these things. But you can't tell that. Mm -hmm. It looks like everyone's having the time of their lives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the zombies in the background, the zombies in the background were the spaced fans. They just put a call out and said, we're making a movie, and they had enough loyal fans to get the, an extras call they could never have afforded. Yeah. So everyone is doing it for love, and they're up late at night covered in blood, <laughs> and everyone's having a, a laugh, but it hasn't got that having a laugh indulgence mm. that a lot of comedy films get derailed by. I was, yeah, it was, uh, they, they put it out on spacedout.org or something, which was their website, and because I watched loads of uh, the extras and stuff, on the really good three-disc spaced, uh, three-disc one, they interview the guy from spacedout.com, uh, who I then ran into at university, I saw him, and I went, do you run spacedout.com? And you'd never, he went ashen-faced. He was so scared, he was thought he was being stalked or something. Um, <laughs> because he was like, how do you know that? And it was just because I've I watched... I've been following you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's because people were so passionate about it, and I'm really glad that 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 they were able to harness that fandom to to make yeah, to, and everyone had a, a really good, um, like you say, I think I think it was difficult. I know that Edgar Wright turned down so much work because he he was gonna almost make it about four times. He turned down uh, directing the first ever episode of the new Doctor Who. Um, shit. Yeah, uh, really? Russell T Davis wanted him to direct that because he he's a brilliant person at making no budget look like yeah. Hollywood, um, and he had to go. No, I'm I, I'm going to hold out, and he was like, I think I think he borrowed like six or seven thousand pounds from Simon Pegg uh, at the time, and it was just like he wanted to make it. So when it starts, wow. I feel like he's just run every day's shooting in his head from from doing that. It's terrifying, wow. but really. well, it's it's got something in common with uh, Rob Manuel who runs. Uh, B3TA said this brilliant thing about Harry Potter. So there are two stories in Harry Potter, two wish fulfillment stories. Mm -hmm. One of them is for the kids you're reading it to. You're a wizard, Harry. What, I'm special. Whoa. The <laughs> other one is what the parents reading have got, which go, oh, she wrote it in a cafe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could have no money and end up the richest person in the world. Yeah. There are two fairy stories in it. And what's great about any low budget films, you're watching the hero, and you're watching the hero win and achieve something. Mm. But you're also watching the director and going, I could do that. Yeah, yeah. Because that looks like that's just blood. Just buckets of red. Just you've got red on you is all you need. Yeah. <laughs> I, could, I could get some buyers and some mates. And it's got that, which uh, Tarantino had and mm -hmm. Rodriguez has. You always have that excitement when you're watching something, a debut by a new low budget director, that you go, 
not only am I watching a heroic battle on screen, yeah. but I'm watching a heroic battle behind the camera, and you're just willing it to succeed. And that extra bit of push, mm-hmm. I think, really helps you fall in love with something because it's got so much heart, and also you as an audience member are putting your heart into it too, mm-hmm. hoping it'll succeed. Um, I wasn't expecting to say that, actually, there, but I think it is an example of a brilliant thing where someone's will and decency and honesty and belief in a project. And generosity. Yeah. yeah, to a cast of people who obviously have done brilliant stuff elsewhere, but this is a really, really good film. Mm. Thank you for bringing it along. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's been lovely. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> and thank you, the audience of the London Podcast Festival.